Well, if you have your Bible, please turn in it now to Romans chapter 8. We'll be in Romans 8, 26 and 27 today. And if you don't have a Bible, then please take one of the black Bibles on the end of your pew. And it'll be on page 944 in that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at all, then just take that one home. It's our gift to you. I want you to have God's word in your life. Uh, Let's read together from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. Uh, I know Christians who don't pray very much, at least in terms of setting aside actual time to be in concentrated prayer. And on the other end, I know Christians who spend hours in prayer, almost daily, if not actual, actually daily. And you can definitely sense the difference, even without knowing that a Christian spends that significant time in prayer. Uh, you, you can just tell the Holy Spirit is at work in this person. But even with those who spend all of that time in prayer, even with those who work and work and work to grow in their prayer life, I've never met a Christian who says that they're good enough at praying. Never have. Maybe there's somebody out there who says that, and I kind of suspect that maybe they're, they're fooling themselves. We always, as Christians, have this sense, I need to be deeper in prayer. I need to be better at prayer. I don't know how to pray. A lot of times, even when I invite people to our Wednesday night prayer meeting, Wednesday, 7 p.m., love to see you there. Uh, people will tell me, oh, well, I, I went there, and there were people there who were way better at praying than me, and I just don't think that I can match that. No. <laughs> you, uh, we're we're going to talk tonight about how God works in our feeling of weakness in our prayers. But for one thing, I, ju- I just should just say, if you come to Wednesday night prayer meeting, there's not an expectation on you that you pray aloud while you're there. That's fine if you just pray silently along with everybody else who is in prayer together. But also, God loves his children. God loves his children, and when we come and we talk to him, he loves it. And your children might be young, they might not quite have all of their vocabulary and their grammar and their logic together. But when they come and they talk to you, you love it. When they're coming and they're sincerely expressing their love for you and telling you what's on their hearts, you love it. And we're going to see today how it is that even as, as we as Christians who don't know what to pray for as we ought, we don't have it all together in our heads of what exactly it is that we should be bringing to God in our prayers, especially even as we suffer and go through weaknesses and hardships, that he is able to take those things and to bring them to himself as perfect prayers and to deeply enjoy that. As we come to this, we need to put this in the context of where we are because this is not in the context of uh, you know, a whole chapter about prayer. This is a piece of a chapter that happens to be about prayer that's in the middle of the context of suffering. 
Romans chapter 8 is, is part of a whole section that started in Romans chapter 5 that's about our assurance as believers that, that God will carry us through to the end. In particular, the first half of chapter 8 was that even as we're still in the middle of this fight against sin, that there is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first half is showing there is no condemnation for you, believer, even though you are still in the fight against sin. And the second half, which we're in now, is telling us, and it's going to finish up with that, that great phrase in verse 39, that, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it goes from no condemnation in sin for believers, and then no separation through suffering for believers. And this section started in, in verse 18, where it's talking about us walking through suffering in this life, even as believers, even as those of us who are new creations in Christ, even as those of us who already possess every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, as it says in Ephesians 1, that we still walk through suffering. It said in verse 17 that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It said in verse 18 that those sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You put them on a scale, there's no comparison. The glory is so much greater, no matter how great the suffering may be here in this life. He goes into verse 19 that it's not just our own suffering, but even the creation that we're in the middle of, the creation that we are living in, is groaning and suffering under the curse of sin that came in Genesis 3 and is longing for the revealing of the sons of God, this time when Jesus will come back, make all things new, take the, the sheep and the goats and separate them and put his saints up high and declare them to be righteous and give them that final state of eternal life in resurrected bodies. The creation itself is groaning for that time and waiting for that time when it's going to be set free from bondage to decay. And then it said, it's not just that the creation is groaning, it's that we ourselves are groaning, it said in verse 23. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, so we groan inwardly as we're waiting for that day, the adoption of, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. But now as we get here to verse 26, it says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and it's going to talk about the Spirit helping us with its own groanings. You hear that? It, it, the creation is groaning. We ourselves are groaning. And now the Spirit is coming alongside and helping us with some better groanings. That's good. And that's where we are. That the Holy Spirit is in the middle of this with us. As we're walking through this life, in this cursed world, where there is suffering... As there's things that are on us that are too heavy for us to bear, the Holy Spirit, believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ, is with you and in you, indwelling you, and he is your helper. So let's start there in verse 26. The first part of it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Likewise. Why does he say likewise? Well, because there was something else right before this. He's, he said in the verses right before this that, that we have hope. That, that hope that we have is something that is a gift of God. It's something that we're told when we see that hope in other believers that we're to thank God for. Their faith and their hope and their love. 
These are from God. And that hope that he's put within us is something that is helping us to carry along through this world and through the sufferings that we face. But he says it's not just the hope that he's given us, but it's God himself who's helping us. God, the Holy Spirit, likewise the Spirit, helps us. Why does he have to help us? Because we're weak. He says he helps us in our weakness. Now that weakness, the the King James translates it as infirmities. I like that word a lot, even though a lot of people don't know what that word is these days. Infirmities, it gets at the idea of not just weakness, but also suffering. Just kind of the whole package of things are bad. (laughs) We have these, these weaknesses, these sicknesses, these sufferings, these infirmities. What kind of weakness do we have? Well, we have physical weakness. That's included in this, as we have our our longing for that day when we'll receive our new bodies. We, We can get sick. We can have terrible things happen to us physically in this life. We have not just physical weakness, but spiritual weakness, where we long to be stronger in our faith than we are. We're weak. We have weakness in the face of trials that come into our lives, and we think, I just don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I'm strong enough. We have weakness in the face of attacks, whether those be from Satan himself or from even human beings who want to oppose us, especially to oppose us about our faith. Something's falling out here. There we go. We have, we have weakness in the middle of temptation, where we think, I just don't know if I can endure this. I don't know if I can get to the other side of this situation without sinning. And that deceitfulness of sin comes in and tells you, yeah, sinning is the right way to go. And we're weak. We have the, this, the weakness in terms of our sufferings and the appeal of turning to worldly comforts as though those were the solutions to our suffering. I just want to ask you this. Do you feel weak Especially, do you feel spiritually weak? I have some good news for you. It says in Matthew 5, 8, this is Jesus opening up his mouth, the first words out of his mouth in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what the poor in spirit are? It's the weak. It's the spiritually bankrupt where what you would expect the Savior of the world to say is, blessed are those who are really spiritually strong, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are spiritually rich. But no, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why does he say that? Is it because there's, there's all of these people who are really spiritually strong out there, and he's saying, ha ha, I'm going to get you. You're not going to heaven. No, it's because there's a lot of people out there who would claim to be spiritually strong even though they are spiritually weak. It's just like when Jesus says to the Pharisees that, uh, that it's, it is not those who are well who are in need of a physician, but those who are sick. It's not telling the Pharisees that they are spiritually well. He's pointing out to them that even though they're deeply, desperately, deathly ill, that they're claiming that they're just fine and that they don't, they don't need a doctor. All that to say that the poor in spirit are those who are willing to come to God and to recognize our spiritual poverty, to recognize our weakness, recognize our spiritual weakness in particular, 
to lay it down at the foot of the cross and say, when I am weak, then I am strong. In the cross of Christ alone, we're going to glory. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.27. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's amazing. It's talking about his sovereign election there as well. It's talking about who he chose to save. He loves to save those who are weak. And the Spirit, it says here, helps us in our weakness. He is our paraclete, our advocate, our comforter, our helper. Now, what does that word paraclete mean? If you were paying attention while we were singing, which I hope you were, because we don't want to take the Lord's name in vain, right? But in one of the hymns that we sang earlier, there's this line that says, Holy Spirit, we adore thee, paraclete, and heavenly guest. And we don't use the word paraclete a whole lot. But what is that? Well, that's, that's basically just putting into English the letters of a Greek word that Jesus uses when he calls the Holy Spirit our helper. He says in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another paraclete to be with you forever. Now, why do people use that word paraclete instead of just saying helper? Well, it's because it carries a lot more terms, a lot more ideas than just somebody who helps. Sometimes you'll see it translated in in Bibles as advocate. Sometimes you'll see it translated as comforter. Sometimes you'll see it translated as helper. It has this idea of one who comes alongside and helps. And really, it's kind of all of those things wrapped up into one. And that's why some people just made that English word what it is, paraclete, because it carries all of those things together. So Jesus has said that the Holy Spirit, who he sent after his resurrection from the dead to indwell every believer, that the Holy Spirit is the one who is our paraclete, our advocate, our comforter, our helper, the one who comes alongside. And the way that it's stated here in 826 of of Romans is that the Holy Spirit comes and picks up and helps us bear our load. That's the sense that it has here when it says that he helps us. He helps us in our weakness. It's this picture of somebody who has too much to bear and needs someone to help because they cannot do it on their own. Somebody who would come and pick up the load so that you can get to the other side. In the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona, anybody remember those? I do, because I was a kid, and when I was a kid and the, the Olympics were on, they were just on all the time. And so, so we would see this, but there was, a, there was a foot race, the 400-meter race, and there was a runner named Derek Redmond from Great Britain. And he had, there was you know, a lot of expectations, a lot of hopes about how well he would run in this race, and about halfway through the race, he slowed way down, grimaced in pain, grabbed the back of his right leg, couldn't go on. He had torn his hamstring right in the middle of the race. And so you know what he did? He was determined that he was going to finish, but he couldn't walk on that leg anymore. So he was holding this leg with his hand in pain, started hopping on his left foot, just right down the lane where he was supposed to be in. And then out of the side of the camera, this guy comes running out in these tube socks, and a Nike t-shirt and a hat. And you almost wonder, why, why aren't they tackling him to the ground, the security guards? But no, it's his father, his father, Jim. 
And he came up right beside his son Derek, put his arm around him, took the weight off of his legs, and helped him. And they together, they went. Everybody else in the race, they were long gone. They were past the finish line. He was going right down and carried him across the finish line. Now, obviously, he didn't win, but nobody remembers who won that race. <laughs> you, you had there the one who came alongside and helped in the weakness where he just couldn't do it. That's the kind of picture that you have here of the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness, that he picks up what is too much for us to bear. It's said a lot of times that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not a Bible verse. And you've got to wonder, is that true or not? Well, it, it, it is true about one thing, which is about temptation. And I think maybe that's where that saying came from, that there, there are scriptures that tell us that God won't give us more than we can handle as believers in terms of temptation, that he will always give us a way of escape such that if you sin, you can never say, well, it's because God just tempted me beyond what I could bear. No, he says that he will always provide a way of escape. And yet, there are other ways when God absolutely certainly does give us more than we can bear. We're weak, and he gives us a lot. I'll just put it this way. Nobody stands up at a funeral and says, Nobody gave him, or God never gave him more than he could handle. It's pretty obvious he did. And God gives us more than we can handle in a lot of ways, even before that day when we finally can't handle things physically and God would take us home. He gives us a lot. We're weak, and there are a lot of trials and difficulties in this life that are just beyond what we can do. But he says here, even as we're suffering, even as we're in this weakness, spiritual weakness, physical weakness, all the kinds of weakness that, the, that there are, as those who trust in Christ, who are indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit is the one who comes and picks up that load to help us. He is the one who is our paraclete, our advocate, our helper. Now, just keep in mind... I love this prayer. We, we prayed it just a minute ago. As Paul was praying to God about this thorn in his side, which we don't know what that was. Um, whatever it is that you've always imagined it was, I, I, I would guess that one day we'll get to heaven and we'll ask Paul and he'll tell us it was something totally different. I'd kind of like to think that maybe he's going to you know, lift up his shirt a little bit here and say, I actually had a thorn right here. That's what I was talking about. I couldn't get it out. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But whatever it was, it says that he, he, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We are weak. The Spirit is our helper. In particular, he says that the Spirit is our helper in our prayers. As we're in this life, going through hardships, going through suffering, going through things that are too much for us to handle, the Spirit helps us in our prayers. He says this in verse 26, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
I love that he says there that we don't know how to pray. I love that he says we. This is the Apostle Paul that the Holy Spirit is using to pen the book of Romans. You would think that if anybody knows how to pray and what to pray for, it would be the Apostle Paul, right? But he says, he doesn't say, you guys there at the church in Rome, you don't know what to pray for, but I do. No, he says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. So if you ever think that you have arrived in your prayer life, just remember that. Or if you ever think to yourself, oh, I just can't go to the prayer meeting because I'm not that good at praying, just remember that. None of us are. The Bible says so. We're not that good at praying, and specifically it's saying that we don't know what we ought to pray for. This especially applies when you're going through real hard situations, difficulties, like that thorn in the side where Paul prayed the wrong thing. He prayed three times that it would be removed, not knowing that that wasn't God's will until God told him so specifically that it wasn't his will to remove that. We don't know what to pray for. Now, there's some, some of the Greek philosophers who were well-known at the time of the writing of the New Testament. They actually said that that was a pretty good reason not to pray at all because we don't know what to pray for. The Greek philosopher Diogenes said of the Greek philosopher Pythagoras that Pythagoras forbids praying for yourself because we do not know what is our benefit. It's kind of that whole idea that you, you see this in tropes and TV shows and stuff, that somebody gets to ask a genie for three wishes, right? And then they, they ask and everything gets all messed up because they got the words just a little bit wrong. The most famous example of that is King Midas, who wishes that everything that he touches would turn to gold, not thinking about that he might touch his family, that it might ruin his life. And so sometimes these philosophers would think, well, we don't know what to pray for, we don't want to mess it up, so just don't even pray for yourself at all. Now, you say, those silly philosophers, those silly stories, those people treating God like a genie who's trying to find a way to get you, and yet sometimes that, own, that feeling can creep into our own hearts too, right? Sometimes we feel like we can't ask for anything because we would have to say, if it is your will, so many times. Just saying, we don't know what your will is, God. God already knows that we don't know what his will is. We, of course, we know what his will is in terms of what he's commanded us. But we don't know his will in terms of where he's going to direct the future, how it is that he's going to cause all things to work together for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We don't know how he's going to work that out. That's his secret will. But he's told us right here, even though we don't know that, even though we have our small, tiny little view, even though we might accidentally be praying for the wrong thing, we might think that what is absolutely the best thing for us is, is, is not. God knows these things. He knows what's good for us. He knows sometimes that if you got what you're asking for, you'd use it to ruin yourself spiritually. There's all kinds of reasons why God might not direct circumstances in the way that we would think that we ought to pray for them. But here's the good news. Part of the good news. Here is good news. Believer, God knows what is good for you. 
And as you pray, the Holy Spirit takes those prayers that you mess up, where you're accidentally praying for the wrong thing, sometimes so confidently that it never even crosses your mind to say, if it is God's will. And he can take those things, and he can redirect those things, and he can help us. He can help us even in the weakness of not knowing how to pray as we ought. One of the things that he does here, if you're following along on the, the, the outline on the bulletin, he directs our prayers. He directs the prayers in our hearts. He moves us toward the right words. He moves us toward the right groanings. You see what's happening here, as, as, as later in the chapter, we're going to come to a place where, where we see that Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, where you have the God the Son in heaven at the right hand of God the Father praying for us. Well, we have the Holy Spirit here indwelling us and praying for us as we pray, praying with us. Jesus is up there praying the things that we absolutely have no idea need prayed for us. Some of the things we do know need prayed for us, but he's praying them for us anyway. The Holy Spirit is praying for us, interceding for us, in terms of taking our prayers, directing them, correcting them, carrying them perfected, to the ears of God. So one of the ways he does that, he directs our hearts to the right words and to the right groanings. Now I have to say here, um, in, in, in recent decades, in the charismatic movement, there has been a, a, a move to say that these verses where it talks about groanings too deep for words, to say that those are about speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. There's a couple reasons why that's not the case. And one of the reasons is because those tongues are something that God gave for a specific time and a specific purpose, that they were actual, uh, real human languages that just were not learned by those who were speaking them, but God supernaturally gave that ability in order to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. And that happened for a time, and it seems not to have continued after the completion of the New Testament. So that's one reason, is that the way that these tongues are done now in modern times is not at all what you see when they're described in the Bible. But another reason that we know that this is not talking about speaking in tongues is because that even when those gifts were going on in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians tells us that only some believers had those gifts. Some would speak in tongues and others did not have that gift. This is talking about something that God does in and through and for every believer in Jesus Christ. And so if it's something that's happening with every believer, then it's not going to be talking about a spiritual gift that only some had. So for every believer, what he does, the Holy Spirit, even as we're praying, he comes in and he redirects and helps our prayers such that we can better have the right words, and even where there's not the right words, he can better give us the right groanings, where he says, with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes there are genuine messages from our own heart that need to be brought to God that we don't know how to put into words. 
And the Holy Spirit can redirect those things. One example of that is earlier in Romans 8, verse 15 and 16. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I think that's an example of the Holy Spirit directing the groans of our heart just to cry out, Abba, Father. But he also directs our words He especially does that as we go to Scripture. It says in Jude 20, there's a command in Jude verse 20, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you pray in the Holy Spirit? Aren't all of us just always praying in the Holy Spirit if we believe in Jesus? Well, sort of, yes, but here's what I want want to bring out. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. If you want to know what are the thoughts of the Holy Spirit, how can I align my thinking and my praying with the words and the groanings of the Holy Spirit, the answer is to use the Scripture as your guide. To prioritize the Scripture over prayer. Let me, let me say that very clearly, all right? Prayer is extremely important. The scripture is even more important. You know why that is? It's because prayer is where we are talking to God. That's important. What we have to say to God is important. But do you know what's even more important than what we have to say to God? What God has to say to us. And that's where the scripture is. Now, if you think to yourself... Well, why, why, why are we going here? Why are we going here about Scripture? Let me, let me read you something from George Mueller. So he was, um, he was an evangelist and, and ran orphanages and that kind of thing in, uh, in England in the 1800s. But this is just something where he was talking about his own personal devotions and his walk with God. And he, he says that when he had begun ministry, that he had a regular habit of beginning the day with prayer. Which sounds really beautiful, doesn't it? And yet, he found that he would leave it with confused thoughts and without joy. And so listen to what he did. He says that he changed to starting with Scripture rather than starting with prayer. Listen, the first thing I did, after having asked in a few words the Lord's precious blessings upon his precious word, was to begin to meditate on the word of God searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it. The result I have found to be almost invariably this, that after a very few minutes my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication, so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation on the word of God, yet it turned almost immediately more or less into prayer, The difference between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible. But what was the result? I often spent a quarter of an hour or half an hour or even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling of soul, etc. And often after having suffered much from wandering of mind for the first ten minutes or quarter of an hour or even half an hour, I only then began really to pray. 
I scarcely ever now suffer in this way, from my heart being nourished by the truth, being brought into experiential fellowship with God, I speak to my Father about the things that he has brought before me in his precious word. You see, if you want to pray in the Spirit, if you want to dive deep into the intercession of the Spirit, into having your thoughts, your words, your groanings in your prayers to be directed by the Spirit. Yes, the Spirit is going to do this whether you pick up your Bible or not to some degree or another. But he's given as part of his means of grace to pick up the very words of the Spirit and to use them for meditation as the launching point into our prayers. Now, I'm going to have an Oprah moment right now. Everybody here gets a free book, okay? So, it's not under your chairs. I did think about that, but it just seemed a little too Oprah. Um, these, these books, they've been sitting in my office for a couple of months. They were sent to us, a box of these free from Crossway, the publisher. It's called Praying the Bible by Don Whitney, right? So I want, there's copies of this that are on, on the back radiators and a, and a few over here in the, uh, the foyer to the side. And I think that there's probably enough here that everybody who wants to read a copy of this can take that, and it's just free. You can take it. But I really want to encourage you to, to take a look at this. Uh, he's got an extremely helpful method for sitting down on a daily basis and using the Bible as your starting point to dive into prayer and, and not to sit around with your prayers being these undirected thoughts you know, it's almost as though if, if you just sit down and say, well, it's time for me to pray, it's almost like saying, well, it's time for me to stand up and give a speech. You say, well, about what? I don't know. <laughs> but I guess I'll talk about something, and I guess it'll probably be the same thing I talked about last time I talked about something, and then, and then my mind's going to wander, and I don't know. Well, this is a way to go to the Scriptures and let the Scriptures, the words of the Holy Spirit, direct your hearts in where to go. So both a plug for that book and just... A gift to you a, a, um, from the publisher Crossway uh, to, to hopefully really be a benefit in your own prayer life in terms of what it says here in Romans 8, 26, the Spirit directing us, the Holy Spirit himself interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. But one of the other things that the Holy Spirit does, he directs our prayers, but he doesn't just direct our prayers, he also corrects our prayers. Even when we sit down with the Bible, even when we're guided by the words of the Holy Spirit and what we're praying, we still don't know what to pray for as we ought. We're still going to get things wrong. We're still going to be lifting up requests to God that are against what his plan for us actually is. And so it's a good thing here that it's not just about his directing our groanings and how we feel in our hearts, about his correcting our words. He also takes the prayers that we're lifting up and it says here, there's a key word here, which is himself. It says the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's, there's a little bit of a debate out there between theologians. Is this verse talking about what God does to direct us inside our hearts when we pray? Or is this talking about the Holy Spirit actually being the one to pray for us? And I think it's both. And I think that word there himself shows us that he's doing something in a, above and beyond what's coming out of our own hearts. 
that the Holy Spirit is taking what we pray and is fixing it on the way up. When we get it wrong, he straightens it out. It's really, he's, he's an advocate in that way, right? It, it, it almost reminds you, and now, I, I don't want to compare the Holy Spirit to a lawyer, but, you know, sometimes when somebody comes before a judge, they have an idea of what they want to get across, but they need somebody to straighten that out in the words. He's our advocate that way. He takes what we don't know how to pray as we ought, and he himself intercedes. So, so when we come to God... With our weakness, with our not knowing how to pray, with our not knowing what to pray, what the Holy Spirit does is he takes what we pray, and those weak spirits, those messed up words, and he carries it to the ear of God the Father, perfected. And where we prayed it in weakness, he brings it to the Father in strength. And where we didn't have the right message, the right words, he brings the perfect message and a message that's even beyond what human language could convey. Because he's for us, and he's not against us. And he's helping us. He intercedes with us through our prayers, as Christ is interceding for us with his own prayers in heaven. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit of Christ here interceding for us as Christ himself is interceding for us in heaven. Some good news, too. The Spirit's help of us is effective. It's not, well, I kind of hope that he's helped. Kind of hope this helps a little bit as this weird prayer goes up. No, it is effective help for us. And here's the reason why it's effective is verse 27. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit himself, or the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It says here that the Father, God the Father, perfectly knows our hearts. He calls him he who searches the heart. God the Son is spoken of in that way too. And in Revelation 2.23, I am he who searches mind and heart. God knows your heart. For one thing, God sees every weird place that your mind wanders when you sit down to try to pray. And he can forgive us for that. But he also, when we're lifting up those things, he sees every corner of our hearts. If you're ever praying for forgiveness on the one hand and then in some other corner of your heart, you're making provision for the flesh, he sees that. And he can forgive that and he can cleanse that. If, if your heart is ever giving something that's not genuine, he sees that. and He can forgive that. But when he sees those prayers... As we, in our hearts, we are genuinely pouring out our heart to God and asking for what it is that we need help with and asking for things that are beyond what we need help with, the kinds of prayers that are all over the scriptures for help for others, for the glory of God. I haven't even mentioned the Lord's Prayer. That's the the main number one prayer given in scripture of how you are to pray, those six petitions that begin with hallowed be your name. But when we are pouring out those things, God sees our hearts. He sees all things. He searches all things. He knows it. And he doesn't just know it. It says that he also knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Well, how does he know what is the mind of the Spirit? Well, partly because there's only one God. 
We're talking about God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we've been talking a little bit about the interaction within the Trinity between the persons of the Trinity, but just keep in mind that this is still one and only one God who share one mind and one will. And so the Father, who these prayers are being brought to by the Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit perfectly. He sees us perfectly. All of this is laid bare in front of him, but this is given to us as assurance when you pray as believers in Christ and dwelt by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps you effectively because the Father sees every bit of it. Every corner of our hearts, every bit of the mind of the Spirit, everything that's being brought to him, and he is able to receive it and to make it effective for our good. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, and then it says, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Let's pause there for just a second before we get to the last part where it says according to his will. Who is it that the Holy Spirit intercedes for? The saints. If you grew up in a Catholic background, then when you hear the word saints, you might be thinking of a special class of Christians who were especially holy. But the way that the Bible uses that word is talking about every believer from the moment that they are first born again. They first repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ before they have done anything good for God. We're already counted as saints. It, it, it says in 1 Corinthians 1-2 that, that the letter of Corinthians was written to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He says, this is all the saints, even the saints in Corinth. If you've ever read the letter of 1 Corinthians, you know that there was some messed up stuff happening among the saints in Corinth. But he calls them saints. And he says that he's for them, and the Holy Spirit is interceding for the saints. He defines them in that verse in Corinthians as, as those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who this is for. We have to say, on the other hand, there are those who are not saints. There are those who are not believers in Christ. And if that's you, it's possible that you've listened to this sermon up to this point, which is pretty remarkable. And it's possible that you've thought to yourself, well, these things are, are really great for me, but it doesn't say that it's for you if your faith is not in Jesus. It says that the Holy Spirit is doing this for the saints. For those whose faith is not in Jesus, it says, it says this in Proverbs 28, verse 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. You can say to yourself, oh, this is definitely for me because I, I trust. I, yeah, I know Jesus is helping me. I pray all the time. I don't know how many unbelievers I've heard say that. It says right there. If you turn away your ear from hearing the law, your prayer is an abomination, no matter how all the time you pray. Verse, uh, Psalm 66, 18 says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, that's failure to repent of sin, even sometimes masked as saying that you are a good person who doesn't need to repent of sin. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Do you hear that? Or Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, 
and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. When he says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints, don't mistake that to be he intercedes for everyone. He intercedes for those that he has caused to be born again. He intercedes for those who come to Jesus in repentance of their sins, in faith in him alone as Lord and Savior, prophet, priest, and king, the only one who can accomplish our salvation. It's only those who are united to Christ by faith, who have the Spirit of Christ interceding for them, taking those prayers to God. Here's what you need to do. You need to turn to Christ in faith. You need to become a saint. But you don't become a saint by becoming good. You become a saint by, sh- by knowing that you're not and laying your sins down at the cross and coming into the light of Jesus and asking his forgiveness, asking him to be your Lord and to save you by faith in Jesus. Come, be a saint. Be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Be born again and have the Holy Spirit on your side. But as for those of us who do trust in Christ, who have the Holy Spirit, who are saints in Jesus, here's what he says happens with these prayers. The end of verse 27. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm really glad about that. Because there's this verse in 1 John 5.14 that says this. This is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now there are some things... You open up your Bible, you start praying, your prayers are going to be directed according to his will. That's good. And then there's other things where we say, wait a second, I have no idea what the will of God is. Do I need to pray that my elderly relative who is in the midst of horrible suffering, do I need to pray that her life would be lengthened? I don't know. Do I need to pray that as I'm dissatisfied in whatever thing God has put into my life, that he would give me a different thing where maybe I'd end up worse off there? I don't know. Do I need to pray this? Do I need to pray that? And we say, it's so good that God hears me, but he says if I ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How do we know if it's according to his will? Some things are obviously not. Some things are obviously not the will of God. It is not the will of God that we make provision for the flesh, that we go against what the Scripture says, those sorts of things. (coughs) But so many other things, we need God's will. But here's the great confidence that we have in our prayers. When we're coming in faith in Christ, when we're coming as those who are covered by the blood of Jesus, especially as we're coming with our Bibles open, But as believers, it says, he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We might get it wrong, but the Holy Spirit won't. He's always going to take those prayers, turn them the way that they need to go, bring them to the ear of the Father according to his will for our good, for our help. So I want to ask you, Are you bad at praying? Are you bad at praying? Well, here's one thing to do. Do it anyway. Pray anyway. Do it by faith in Christ, because his blood covers your sins as you trust in him. 
Jesus is the one who, who brings us, ushers us into the Holy of Holies, to the throne of grace, as we're praying by faith in him. And pray with your Bible open, so that your thoughts and your prayers and your groans are going to be directed by the word of the Holy Spirit, who's the one who intercedes for you as you pray. And pray with confidence that the Holy Spirit, even when you get those things messed up, even when you're not good at praying, even when you don't know how to pray as you ought to, is going to carry your prayers directly to the ear of the Father perfectly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereign plan from before the foundation of the world to save sinners like us. Lord, I thank you for sending Christ the Redeemer to die for us as sinners, knowing our names specifically. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who has come to make us born again, to take the finished work of Jesus and apply it to our hearts and to come to indwell us. God, I thank you that uh, that you're for us, you're not against us, and I thank you specifically today that the Holy Spirit is for us. God, we, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Sometimes we face very hard situations where all we can say is, Lord, your will be done. But God, I thank you for the Spirit who carries those things perfected to you. Lord, we are not strong. We are weak. We're not able to bear the load that we have you do give us more than we can handle. And yet, we thank you that, that you have given us the perfect, strong helper, the Holy Spirit. God, help us to walk by the Spirit through faith in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.